0: Well, hi, everybody. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to the Best Old Time Radio Podcast. This week, we're doing an archive show. This one was first broadcast back on the 16th of August in 2016. And I hope you enjoy. It's
1: half past eight exactly, Mr. Dillon.
2: I better get it out of the safe now. All right, let's go.
0: Chester, you are quite the fashion plate tonight. I will tell you that. He has on, Chester has on a pair of walking shorts that we used to call Bermuda shorts. And they're orange and and yellow plaid. Big, bold plaid. And he has on a Hawaiian shirt with a dark blue background and gold flowers. What What are you wearing for shoes there, Chester? Here, let me stand. I couldn't see. Hold, hold your foot up. He's got on a pair of Harachi sandals. Is, are those? Uh, yeah. <laughs> the kind with the tire. The, the, the sole is made out of a tire. My goodness. You look like something right out of 1962. Only I don't think I ever wore a Hawaiian shirt with, with plaid pants. You're right in style, Chester Okay, well, welcome. Welcome, everybody. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to Boomer Boulevard. This is the show where we play old-time radio shows we actually remember from when we were kids because we're baby boomers. Everyone's welcome to join in. Tonight we have uh, four shows that we're going to play for you. First of all, we're going to start off with an Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Then we have a Jack Benny show. Then we have a surprise for you in the, in the, uh, fourth, in the third show third show is a surprise, and then we're going to end up on the streets of Dodge City, Kansas with an episode of Gunsmoke. So I hope you've had a great two weeks. I'm glad to have you with us. Pull up a chair make yourself comfortable, and we're going to get started in just a minute. missing Philip Marlowe. I just love every once in a while the the sense of humor he has, the casual approach to his private detective work that he does, and I particularly love the way Gerald Moore portrays him. So we have to get a fix of Philip Marlowe tonight, and to do so we are going to go back to an episode that was originally broadcast on the 18th of August. In 1951, this was a CBS show, and the name of this episode is Young Man's Fancy. And I think you'll enjoy it.
3: Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road. And those who travel it wind up
4: in the gutter, of the prison, or the grave. There's no other end, but they never learn. <laughs> From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in The Adventures of Philip Marlowe.
5: Now, with
4: Gerald Moore starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's transcribed story The Young Man's Fancy.
3: Another scorcher with smog yet. The angels that flapped their wings over the sleepy little Pueblo of Los Angeles were taking a summer hiatus. I thought about the blue Pacific some 15 miles to the west where the friendly waves will snap your back if you happen to hit the undertow just right. So I decided on some three-part harmony instead. Part one, vodka. I had that. But no parts two and three. The limes and ginger beer. So before you could say Moscow Mule, I was heading for the shopping district that's about a five-minute walk from the apartment. I made it quicker. I drove. Alex's fruit stall gets all my lime business, partly because the limes are good, but mostly because of Alex. All that's kind and gentle is housed in the square frame of Alex Lesnovich. His tanned old face is creased around the mouth and eyes from smiling. Deep-set, dark eyes that look out at you from under bushy, gray brows and laugh. Yeah, that's Alex all the time. Except this particular morning. Oh,
6: it's Mr. Marlowe. Well, hello. Hot day is. Hot day is. (laughs) Heat got you, Alex? Oh, no, no, not the heat. I think I go to my chair, rock a bit. You find what you want. Hey, wait a
3: minute. Wait a minute. You're not sick, are you?
6: Uh, sick, some. Uh, Alex is sick, fellow.
3: Have you seen a doctor?
6: No, no, no doctor. Alex is sick in the heart. Oh. No doctor can fix, Mr. Marlowe. Someone else could fix, but no doctor. You want
3: to tell me about it, Ali?
6: I will go to my chair and rock and sink you. Find what you want.
3: Yeah. Hey, the limes look good.
6: Yeah. Yeah, is. How much? Time says no.
3: <laughs> yeah, I guess it does. Hey, does it get this hot in Yugoslavia?
6: Oh, maybe. It's a long time since I was there. Yeah? 30 years more, maybe. It's not changed there now. Weather too, maybe.
3: Yeah, maybe.
6: Dad. Oh, Dom. Dominic, where
7: have you been? Hello, Dad. Oh, hi, Mr. Marlowe. Hi, Don. All night,
6: I wonder with you Oh, look,
7: Dad, let's not start that all over again, will you? I'm a oh, age. Oh, it's babe, the only big fellow, small ears. Don't give me that stuff. I'm sick of it. Just came back to get some things and some money, so you might as well get the cash drawer here open.
6: now, that's enough. You do not come here just when suits you and tell your father what he will do and what he will not do. Look, Dad, I'm... I'm tired of fighting with you.
7: Come on to the back of the stall. We don't have to drag anyone else into this.
3: I was pretty much of a third wheel. I didn't get it. I didn't want it to. Alex and son Dominic boxed the next few rounds almost out of earshot. I heard old Alex mutter something finally. Go to the cash register and get Dom the money. Shortly after that, Dom shot past me and down the street. I stood there like a fool, squeezing a half a dozen lines.
6: You, please. Find what you
3: want, Mr. Marlowe. Yeah, yeah, Alex, these will be fine.
6: Thank you.
3: Thank you very much. Alex. Yeah. Well, if you need any help, you know where to find me, huh?
6: Thank you very much, Mr. Marlowe, but if Alex has trouble, Alex works them up. Sure, sure you will.
3: I'll see you.
8: conversation you had, Mr. Marlowe. How are you?
3: Yeah, fine. How are you, Miss Gabrielle?
8: I'm boiling over. That's how I am.
3: Yeah, well, it's hot.
8: Oh, that's not what I mean. My blood's boiling. When I got left, that is. Doctor says I'm anemic, you know.
3: No, I didn't know. I just want to get some ginger beer, Last huh? Last
8: time I was in for a checkup, I thought I never was going to find any red corporals. White corporals I'm loaded with, he says, but red ones... Corpuscles. Corpuscles. How's that?
3: Corpuscles, that's the word, not corporals. Oh,
8: well, I don't see it makes much difference. I don't have any red ones, no matter what you call them or how you spell them. Yeah,
3: well, I thought maybe about six bottles of ginger beer, if you have it cold, please.
8: I uh, saw you next door at Alex's.
3: Yeah, well, I got limes there. Now, if I could just have the ginger well, beer, this you suppose
8: know. has got into that dom.
3: I don't know, really. Well,
8: something has. I heard Alex say plain as day, Dom had not been home all night. And I'll tell you one thing, that's not the first time this has happened. Been going on all the live long. I wouldn't
3: know about that. I just And
8: another thing, that flower stand of his, you know, the one he used to run right there in the front of Alex's stall, where's it gone?
3: Six bottles of
8: gin. I'll tell you where it's a rack and ruin. And first of the summer, he's running like always, doing a nice little trade, too. Then it gets So he's not coming home. And the flowers are wilting and dying. Not smelling too refreshing either. Please. So one morning I see old Alex carting the whole kit and caboodle out to the incinerator at the alley, and that's the end of the flower business. You know,
3: I knew it was going to be hot when I first woke up this morning, and I thought that about six bottles of ginger beer would help a lot.
8: Oh, you want ginger beer? Well, why didn't you say so?
3: I'm just shy. I'm shy. Oh.
8: I bet you're going to make up a batch of those, um, what are they?
3: Moscow mules.
8: Oh, well, uh, that's 93. I'm giving you credit for the bottles I know you got, but you never take the trouble to return.
3: Thank you. I got to bring them back.
8: Uh, thanks. You know what I think, don't you?
3: I have a pretty good idea. Well,
8: I think Alex has had his share of troubles. And now, Dom, acting for all the world like one of them delinquents you read about, well, here's to me the nearest thing to a blessing that Alex can count is Helena.
3: Helena? Oh, yeah.
8: I don't suppose you remember her, do you, Mr. Marlowe? Well, sir, as beautiful a girl as you'd ever care to see Lovely And I mean lovely in every way She went to that secretarial school, you know Took a nice job up in San Francisco I understand she's just doing real well, too Writes to Alex just as regular And is just a lovely person I
3: mean... Yeah, I remember Helena No red-blooded man who had all his corporals would ever forget her. Quiet little thing, dark, radiant, with Alex's deep-set black eyes. The kind that laughed. Yeah, I remembered her voice, too. Soft. Just the right amount of huskiness. It had been about three years, I guess, since I'd seen her. That would make her somewhere in her early twenties now, and that would make her even lovelier. (laughs) the time I got to my car, I'd half forgotten about old Alex and Dom. I pulled out of the parallel parking spot, and before I reached the corner, I was in the proper lane, minding my own business. Hey, oh, nice work. Hit and run, huh? All the idiots. all I need. More crack hey, in the asleep, folks. did you
9: see that, Mr. Marlowe? He didn't even stop.
3: Yeah, that much I noticed. Glad you keep your service station so handy, Nick.
9: Yeah, yeah, you know who it was, don't you?
3: Yeah, yeah, I think so.
9: The darn fool cut right in front of you from the wrong lane.
3: I'll show sure be a witness for you, Mr. Marlowe. Thanks, Nick. Tell me, was that Alex's car Don was driving? Yeah. Hmm. I'll take a look at the heap here. You think you can fix it up?
9: Yeah, sure I can. Looks like he just scraped along the side. The fender's curled under there, but... <coughs> I think we can knock that out for you in no time. Oh, good. Of course, if you want that paint touched up, that's going to take some time. No,
3: no, skip the paint for now, huh? Hey, Nick, uh, you and Dom are pretty good friends, aren't you?
9: I used to think so. I, I don't see much of
3: Dom anymore. He's, uh, I don't know, he's
9: screwy or something. It, what do
3: you mean?
9: Well, like that trick he just pulled, running in here and driving on. He didn't used to be like that.
3: Well, what do you think's happened to him, or do you know?
9: Well, whatever it is, it's happened since we got out of school last spring. All of a sudden, he doesn't come around anymore. Nobody in the gang sees him, and when we do, you know, we meet him on the street or something, he just sort of looks down, he says, hi, and he keeps on going. Uh-huh. Okay, if I
10: park there, Nick.
11: But don't bet you can park there. I'll pay you when I get back. Hey, you
9: dirty... There's Dom's friend, Mr. Marlowe. Only guy he sees anymore. That truck driver? Yeah, making his daily delivery, I see.
3: Delivering himself to Solly's
9: Bar. Half the time, Dom goes there with him.
3: He does, huh? Yeah. Yeah, well, you see what you can do with the car, Nick, just so I can drive it okay, huh? Sure, sure, Mr. Marlowe.
9: Bud's here today. Between us, we can fix it in a hurry.
3: Okay, I'll be back in a few minutes. See how you're doing. Swell. Oh, and Nick.
12: Yeah, yeah.
3: Nick, come here. I'm going to tell Alex it was my fault. No, I don't want him worrying about it, so don't make a liar out of me, huh? Nah, no, sure not, Mr. Marlowe. Only Dom doesn't deserve it. Maybe not, but Alex does.
6: But I don't care about the car, the car. Dom is all right. He's not hurt. A... No, no, Dom's
3: fine, Alex. He was, well, he was in a hurry. He drove on to wherever he was going.
6: Oh, oh, that's good that Dom is not
3: a... Yeah, I just thought I'd tell you. It was my fault, and whatever damages there are, you let me know,
6: huh? Oh, oh if anything, I let you know. You, you don't worry, Mr. Marlowe. I'll you... drive more carefully next time, no? Yeah. Yeah, I will, Alex. Oh, look, please, look, look, look what is just coming You know the excitement. I almost forgot. Look, it's letter from Helene. Oh,
3: swell. How is she?
6: Oh, it's fine, just real fine. She's worked very hard, she mm. said, feel very good. And it's someday, maybe soon, come down to Seattle. Oh,
3: that's fine. Is she still in San Francisco? Oh, yeah.
6: yeah. And it's like very much. Uh-huh. But Mrs. Papa and Dom and Mr. Marlowe. Up and down, Miss Helene. Yeah, I'll bet. Oh, when Helene comes, everything again is all right. <laughs> I, I get letter almost every other day, two, three times a week.
3: Oh, well, that's well. Well, I got to see about my car, Alex, and remember, let me know what I did to yours. Oh, huh?
6: yes, yes, if it's anything, I shall. And you remember now, you try much more carefully, Mr. Marlowe. What? Right, right? got the responsibility to our fellow. He's right. He's right.
3: Alex was feeling better. Helena's letter had given him something else to think about for a while. On the way back to Nick's service station, I ignored Miss Gabrielle's nose, which was pressed flush with the free ice cube sign in her window. You know, with very little effort, I could have no use for that type female... Well, Nick said the car would take about ten minutes. I figured a beer would just about take as long. The sign said Salty's Bar, no dogs allowed.
6: What'll it be,
12: mister? Bottle of
3: beer. Any kind, just so it's cold.
12: Okay, here you go.
3: Thanks. I'll pay you as soon as I can see. You keep it pretty dark in here, huh? Psychology. Hell more booze that way. Don't ask me why. I won't. Ah. ah. Anybody mentioned the jukebox is a little loud? Yeah, I have. They either can't hear or they like it that way. They? You'll see them when your eyes get used to the place. The guy's play the record nine times now. She's still not sold. Yeah? Well, some days you get nowhere. Hey,
10: can I have another pair, Sony? Yeah, sure, Carl.
3: Carl, the truck driver, Nick pointed out to me, he was seated two stools down at the bar. I noticed him for the first time just before he ordered the beer. He was a big guy. Even sitting down, he had a placid-looking face, the kind you could never tell anything about. He looked at me for a moment and then over to the couple in the booth by the jukebox. The expression on his face didn't change as he calmly slid off the bar stool, went over to the jukebox, reached around to the back, and turned down the volume.
6: Hi! What's
9: the idea? It's too loud. Yeah, well, it's my nickel, sir. It's your nickel.
3: Sit down.
8: Ah. Yeah? Well, I will! That's numbers,
7: tell
3: me. Thanks, fella.
7: Yeah, okay. Carl. Oh, that's you, isn't it, Carl? Yeah, Dom, come on, sit down. I wondered where you were. I had some trouble, but I got some money. Here. What kind of trouble? Your dad? No, I just... Well, if it isn't old Snooper himself... Look, Mr. Marlowe, I don't need any assist from you.
3: I wouldn't be too sure, Don. Maybe you
7: thought it was a bright idea blabbing that fancy story to my dad. Well, I don't go for it, you see.
3: Okay,
13: you don't go for it.
7: You, uh, giving the kid here a bad
13: time, mister? Get
10: lost.
7: He's a professional snooper, this guy. He already shot his face off to my dad about me.
13: You shouldn't have done that, mister. Hey, you
7: guys, take it easy. No brawling in here. Take your hands
13: off
10: me. I'll let go, all right. So. It's your first mistake. <laughs> Come on now, break it up! Come break on. it up! Stop! Uh, Put down that bottle! I'll break it up! Oh! You, you you're a crazy little fool! You're going for this, Billy? Hey, you!
4: with our star Gerald Moore the second act of Philip Marlowe and tonight's story The Young Man's Fancy
3: It was a wild dream My head was a punching bag and fighters with plate glass fists were taking turns cracking my skull I hurt like fury Miss Gabrielle was pelting me with three ice cubes. The band played Come On To My House, and someone started mopping my face with a cool, damp cloth that smelled of beer and bourbon. He's coming around. I don't know
9: why, though. Dom really conked him. How are you, Mr. Marlowe?
3: Now, there's a stupid question. Oh, Nick, how'd you get here?
9: Well, they came and got the truck, Carl and Dom. I saw them Uh, out here. I figured something had happened. uh, Hey, I'm sure sorry, Mr. Marlowe.
3: Yeah, so am I. Hey, Nick. Huh? What's the name of that company Carl drives for?
9: The, uh, Intercity Produce Company. Uh-huh. Alex buys stuff from him. I guess that's how Dom knows him. Are you, uh, are you going to tell the police, Mr. Marlowe?
3: No, not yet, Nick. That's two counts on Dom today. You're sure letting him get by with murder. <laughs> no, Nicky boy, I draw the line there.
14: Oh, here, have a drink.
3: Oh, thanks.
8: I thought you said uh. this was a glass joint.
6: Well, I there. thought it was, baby. We are taking our trade elsewhere, Mac.
3: Now you think of it. You have a real stylish clientele, Salty. Real stylish.
7: You're feeling good enough to crack wise? You're feeling good enough to get out of here? Hey,
3: wait a minute. Take it easy, Nick. Salty's right.
7: I just don't want no
3: trouble. You got no trouble. Come on, Nick. I couldn't have walked better if I had the bends. I managed to get into my car at Nick's service station... He checked all 96 Los Angeles area phone directories for me, and Carl wasn't listed. Nick had finally remembered Carl's last name. It was Medora. I took one last look at the limes and ginger beer, now quite warm, in the car seat beside me. Muttered something censorable and drove off. It was even hotter down in the produce district. And the knot on my head hurt even more as I told Carl's boss a big fat lie.
10: Well, sir, Mr. Marlowe, I'm glad our Carl was a help to you out on the ridge route.
3: Yeah, yeah, I'd like to thank him personally, if you don't mind.
10: Oh, don't mind at all. Thing is, he won't be in anymore today. He got in early this morning from San Francisco, brought his load in. <laughs> he won't be in here again till tomorrow morning.
3: Oh, he's going back to San Francisco, huh?
10: Uh-huh, yeah, that's his run. Up to Frisco and back, lays overnight both places, loads up, starts out again.
3: <laughs> Sounds like fun.
10: <laughs> hey, say, tell you what I could do... I could give you his home address. Most likely, that's where he is now. Don't know, of course, if you want to go to that much
12: trouble just to thank him. Oh,
3: yeah, I... yeah, I would. After all he's done for me, I'd really like to look him up. Paul's apartment building needed paint and better ventilation. It was near downtown L.A. in an area that should have been cleared for the freeway, but it hadn't been. There was no answer at apartment 3... There wasn't even any sound behind the door But I had the feeling that somebody was there At the corner drugstore I called the phone number Carl's boss had penciled under his address I let it ring a long time, no answer Well, my head wasn't the only thing That was giving me a rough time When I got back to Hollywood My car had developed a regular list To the starboard side Where Dom had rammed me I limped into Nick's And he spotted the trouble right away
9: Yep, that's it, all right your front wheel alignment is not silly. I know just how it feels. We could fix it okay if you can leave the car with us a while. You're
3: going to have it a week. I want to take my head home and bury it.
9: Yeah, yeah, I bet. You got everything out of the car you want?
3: Wait a minute, let me see. Limes, ginger beer. <laughs> everything but the down payment, I guess. <laughs> Mr. Marlo,
6: what do you think? Oh, hello, Nico. What hello. do you think, Mr. Marlowe? I don't
3: know. You got me, Alex.
6: You don't got Phone call. It's Helena. From San Francisco? No, 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 no. Right here, Los Angeles. Oh, he's come real soon to
3: see Alex. Hey, that's great, Ah, Alex. Oh, it's
6: very fine news. Oh, Nick Nick, you see, Dom. I have to find Dom for Helena when she comes. No, no,
9: no, Alex. I I
6: haven't seen him. Oh, that's all right. If if you see him, either one of you, tell him, tell him please to come for Helena. Yeah, we will, Alex, sure. If we see him. Thank you. Poor
3: old guy. Yeah. I'm going home, Nick. You see, down a car, let me know. I sure will, Mr. Marlowe.
7: You're a long time getting home, Snooper.
3: Well, the bottle, baby. I've
7: been waiting to tell you something. Something maybe you missed when I said it in Salty. Now, look,
3: all of a sudden I'm getting sick of you, Dom. You better quit while you're ahead. You better
7: listen. I told you to stay out of my business. And now I'm telling you the same thing for Carl. You're doing nobody any favors going to his boss, poking around when you're not wanted. Tell
3: Carl to come here and tell me that.
7: If he comes, he'll really flatten
3: you. Get out of here, will you, and get rid of that gin smell before you go home. That's something else that's my business. Now, listen, you little punk. I ought to slap you silly and I may.
7: You let go of me, you stupid.
3: Now, get this. Helena's in town. What? She just called Alex. She's coming to see him. No. Now go home and get cleaned up and behave yourself.
7: Helena. Oh,
3: no. He ran down the hall like he'd been fired on. And like I said, I was sick of it, the whole thing. Dom, Carl, whatever they were up to, I'd had it. Inside the apartment, I left the limes and ginger beer on a chair. Put the vodka straight. I don't know how long I was sprawled on the couch. Okay, okay, okay. Ah, oh, that might be Carl. I'm waiting to see that boy.
15: Oh, Mr. Marlowe. I didn't think you'd remember me. But uh, Carl said you wanted to see me, Mr. Marlowe. Elena. You do remember me? I didn't think you would.
3: Sure. Sure, I remember you, Helena. It's been a long time.
15: Yeah. Long time. Long, oh, long time. But I haven't changed, have I, Mr. Marlowe?
3: No. No, Helena, you haven't.
15: Lie! The men always have to lie? No, Helena, you haven't changed. You make me sick, Mr. Marlowe. Men make me sick. Have
3: you seen your father yet?
15: Jalap! No, I haven't seen him. yet. Carl said to wait here. I'm sick of Carl telling me what to do. What's in the bottle, Gin?
3: No, it's vodka.
15: doesn't matter.
3: Uh, hey. tell me about your job, Helen. Give
15: it to me, the bottle. Thank you. That's my job, Mr. Marl. You can forget anything with the bottle.
3: Take it easy, kid, will you? Uh, Sure. Uh, (laughs) Helena.
15: Helena.
3: Oh,
7: fine. You got her here?
3: Yeah. She, uh, she passed out. She's over on the couch.
7: Come on, Carl.
16: Okay, Don. Let us sleep it off.
7: Yeah, what else? Well, Mr. Marlowe, beginning to get the idea?
3: I guess I am. How long has she been like this?
7: Oh, I don't know. Quite a while, I guess. I thought something was cockeyed when she was home last Christmas. And yeah. then, oh, late this spring, her letters to Dad got to reading kind of funny, those she sent to him. I hooked a ride with Carl here and went up to Frisco Found
3: her. Well, how could she hold a job like
7: this?
13: Job? You well, got she... a
7: drink to hold some
13: jobs, Mister Muller.
7: Oh, I see. I Never mind about her job. She's... She's sick. We brought her down here. Carl did. Now, now we don't know what to do. She can't see
13: Dad like this. No.
3: You're right, Dom. It'd kill him and her, too.
13: She's has uh, been staying in my apartment. Uh, i have been sleeping in my truck when I was in town. Dom stayed with her a lot of the time.
3: Dom's been writing the letters to Alex for her,
13: and you've been mailing him from San Francisco, huh? Yeah. That way, Alex didn't know, you
2: see, but now that she's called him and said she was in town, I don't know. Dom's had a pretty tough time with her. She threw a glass of gin all over him today. Yeah, I
7: know. It's not her fault. She's sick, that's all. Well, we've got to do something. We for will, it. we will, Don. I
3: think maybe I can help you with that. I called a friend of mine, an MD with a small sanitarium in the Glendale Hills. He specialized in Helena's kind of sickness. We made a deal, and a half hour later, we took her there. It was going to take some time, but it was good building time. Don and I had our story pretty well rehearsed when we got back to Alex's.
6: But uh, I I don't understand wh- why she told you this. Why, why did she not call Alex?
3: Now, look, Dom told you she was pretty disappointed in herself that she had to go right back to San Francisco. She oh. was afraid if she called you, she'd cry and get you
7: all upset. Sure, that's oh. right, Dad. She thought it'd be easier for you this way. <laughs>
6: oh, I I, I uh, it's nice of Helena to think of her papa. It's, it's nice. Yeah. She come... She can... Soon I can, no? As soon
3: as she can, Alex.
7: I don't think it'll be very many more weeks. Do you, Dom? Oh, no, no. She'll be back before we know it, then. Okay.
6: Oh, well, that's wonderful. Dominic, she'll she look good.
7: If well, Oh, she. Well, you just wait till you see her. She'll look great. Won't you, Mr. Mother?
3: Oh, just great, Dom. Uh... Alex, I've got a hunch she'll be staying home quite a while after
7: this. Oh,
6: Mother. My... Helena, home.
3: Oh. oh, the.
6: <laughs> oh, very
3: Footnote. You can buy fresh-cut flowers again in front of Alex Lesnovich's fruit stall. They throw the smiles in for free. Even Miss Gabrielle's changed her mind about Dominic being one of those delinquents you read about. I learned something about him the other day, myself. That kid can really paint a car. Well, so much for that. Cost? One Moscow mule.
4: The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore, are produced and transcribed by Norman MacDonald and written for radio by Kathleen Height. Featured in the cast were Tony Barrett as Alex, Larry Dobkin as Dom, Georgia Ellis as Helena, and Paul Dubov as Nick, with Ruth Parrott, Frank Richards, Lou Krugman, and Jack Crucian. Gerald Moore may currently be seen in the Santana production, Sirocco. The special music for Philip Marlowe is composed by Pierre Garagank and conducted by Wilbur Hatch. Be sure to listen again next week at the same time when Philip Marlowe says... This
3: time the main theme was Main Street. And the counter-melody was full of shops from a burlesque house and flats from Skid Row. It was wine, women, and murder. <laughs>
4: This is the CBS Radio Network.
0: From August the 18th in 1951, that was young man's fancy as heard on the adventures of Philip Marlowe with Gerald Moore. And, of course, we'll have more Philip Marlowe in the weeks ahead. All right, we're going to have to keep our eye on the clock tonight, so let's go right to the comedy corner. (coughs) Something
10: familiar, something peculiar,
1: something for everyone, a comedy tonight, Ah! something appealing, something appalling, something for everyone, a comedy tonight, nothing with kings, nothing with clowns, bring on
10: the lovers, liars, and clowns. Ah! Situation,
7: no complications. Or polite. Ready tomorrow, tomorrow. I'll come
0: in tonight. <laughs> well, welcome to the comedy corner, where this week we're going to visit with Jack Benny and the whole gang on the Benny Show. As near as I can tell, this show was originally broadcast on March. No, excuse me, May the 23rd in 1954. What we're listening to tonight was a rebroadcast that they did on The Best of Benny, and I believe that this was rebroadcast on twelve fifteen of 1957. Now, that's what I think. I'm not entirely sure. I did a little research on this, and I'm pretty sure that is correct. Anyway, the name of this one, or at least the common name, is Jack Goes to the Dentist and Visits... A casino in uh, in Las Vegas. It's a funny one, and I hope you enjoy it.
12: The Jack Benny Program, starring Jack Benny, with Mary Livingston, Rochester, Dennis Day, Bob Crosby, and yours truly, Don Wilson. Ladies and gentlemen, we'd like to take you back to yesterday to the office of a prominent dentist. Sitting in the dentist chair, even as you and I, is our little star, Jack (laughs) Benny.
2: For heaven's sakes, Doctor, how much longer will you have to use that drill? I'm almost done, Mr. Benny. Thank goodness.
9: There we are. All finished. Now let's slip them in your mouth and see how they fit.
2: Okay Say, isn't there some way You can make this removable bridge permanent? Well, I'm afraid not uh, Why? Don't you like removable bridges? Oh, they're all right But sometimes I sneeze You see, and it comes loose you know? Well, we'll fix it next time Say, I just read in one of the papers that Bob Hope is going to be your guest star on your TV show. That's right. You know, Bob is one of my patients. And so is Bing Crosby. Really? Yes, as a matter of fact, I had quite an unusual experience with Bing the last time he was here. Well, what happened? I was drilling on one of his molars and struck oil. <laughs> now, let's see uh, about your next appointment. Uh, how about two in the afternoon, June 14th? June? Oh, oh, I can't come on June 14th. Why not? Well, doctor, have you any patients out in your waiting room? Will you? Yes, quite a few. Good. Open the door, will you, to the waiting room? Well, all right. I can't come here on June 14th because that's the day I open my personal appearance tour at the State Fair Auditorium in Dallas, Texas. <laughs> There's no sense Wasting the plug, doctor One of your patients May be in Dallas At the time, you see I'll call you when I get back Okay Goodbye, Mr. Benny See, it'll be fun Making a personal appearance In Dallas See, from there See, I go up north To Portland And Vancouver And Seattle And I'm going back To my hometown Waukegan I'm not making a personal appearance there, but they're having a testimonial in my honor. They're naming a sewer after me. (laughs) It was supposed to be a subway, but the plumber hooked it up wrong. Gee, it's such a nice day. I think I'll walk home. So lovely out. Fairy tales do come true. It can happen to you. If you're young at heart. You can have a good time. If you stay 39. <laughs> and you're young at heart. I can go to extremes. With impossible schemes Think of Marilyn Monroe Though it's only in dreams <laughs> I'd like to hug and kiss her Every single day Unless DiMaggio is there Or on his way Did I do? Gee, that's a great record Frank Sinatra made of that song Yeah, I'll never forget the first time I heard Sinatra on a record He looks so comfortable lying there Between the grooves <laughs> 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 Gee, I've been walking fast I'm almost to Beverly Hills I'm glad I live here Beverly Hills must be the classiest community In the whole world Yep, there's the sign. You are now entering Beverly Hills. Gee, these rugs on the sidewalks are nice. (laughs) I think Howard Hughes lives around here. Oh, yes, there's his house. That's his yard looks beautiful. Ah, and it smells good, too. I wonder why it smells so... Oh, yes, now I remember. He waters his lawn with my sin. (laughs) Gosh, Beverly Hills must have the classiest residential district in the whole... There goes the good humor, man <laughs> I don't know Sometimes I, I think that Beverly is so classy that Oh,
5: hello, Mr. Benny Huh?
2: Oh, hello, Dennis I was just over your house But you weren't home I know, I was at my dentist Gee, what a coincidence Oh, were you at the dentist today? No, my optometrist Oh, Dennis, are you you getting eyeglasses? Yes, sir. Oh. Are you nearsighted? No. Farsighted? No. Oh, then you have a... You have a... Astigmatism? Yes. No. (laughs) (laughs) Then why in the world are you getting glasses? To keep my mother from hitting me. You mean your mother's mad at you again? Uh Uh-huh. What happened this time? Well, on one of my television programs, I'm supposed to be a magician, so I decided to practice up some magic tricks last week. What kind of trick were you practicing?
5: You know, the famous one where you make an elephant disappear.
2: But Dennis, that trick takes years of practice. You can't make an elephant disappear. I know, and boy, is our living room crowded. (laughs) Uh, You have an elephant in your living room? Yeah, for six days How can an elephant stay in a house that long? He brought his trunk (laughs) Hmm. Dennis, come here a minute Yes, sir (laughs) Ouch! Now, Dennis, don't ever pull such an old corny gag on me I don't mind Sure, now, what's going on here? It's nothing, officer, nothing. Just a personal... Now, don't tell me it's nothing.
5: I saw you slap the lad. Yeah, and for no reason. All I did was tell him that an elephant has been living at my house for a week.
2: Oh, oh, now, wait a minute.
5: How in the world could an elephant
2: stay in a house for a week? He brought his trunk. (laughs) Ow! Ow! Shouldn't have slapped me He's the one that said that Oh Now come on Dennis Let's go <laughs> You're always causing trouble
5: But do you want to hear The song I'm going to do On the program Sunday Mr. Benny Not here
2: on the street Anyway I want to give you Some advice Yes sir Dennis since you apparently Have so much time That you can walk around Annoying people on the street Why don't you try To better yourself
5: well, what do you mean Well go to
2: the library Get some books Read the newspapers And magazines Find out what's going on in the world. I don't have to waste my time reading magazines and newspapers. Well, then how do you get information? I dial
5: 113.
2: <laughs> Dennis, sing. But you said not on the street. I don't care what I said. I'd rather hear you sing than talk. Now go ahead. Yes, sir.
5: so sweet that I repeat means I adore you. Amor, amor, my love, would you deny this heart that I have placed before you? I can't find another word with meaning so clear. My Try to whisper sweeter things in your ear But somehow or other Nothing sounds quite so dear As this soft caressing word I know whisper sweeter things in your ear, but somehow or other nothing sounds quite so dear as this soft caressing word I know. Amor, amor, my love. When you're away, there is no day and nights are lonely. Divine, say you'll be mine and love me only. I'm I, I'm I.
6: Who's
2: that? It's me, Rochester. Benny? Hello. Any phone calls for me?
10: No, but there was a salesman here from the appliance store, and he left the television set for you to try out on approval. It's in the hall.
2: Why do you leave it out in the hall?
10: Boss, this is the new Crosley Super V with a built-in aerial. It's so light, you it can be carried anywhere in the house.
2: That's quite a feature.
10: Yeah, you can use it at night in your bedroom and then bring it into the living room for the crowd when the Greyhound bus stops here. <laughs>
2: Rochester, you don't have to make jokes just because I'll answer the door. You get my lunch ready.
12: Yes,
2: sir. Hello, Jack. Oh, hello, Bob. Come on in. Bob, why didn't you call and let me know you. Wait a minute, Bob. Where'd you get that wonderful sunburn?
17: Oh, the boys in the orchestra and I chartered a boat and we all went fishing yesterday.
2: Really? Sammy,
17: the drummer, won the jackpot by landing the biggest fish, so I took a picture of it. Here, you want to take a look
2: at it? Oh, isn't that cute? The fish is holding Sammy up. (laughs) Looks so cute with the spin around him. Yeah. You know, Bob, I guess it's hopeless, but I sure wish the boys in the band would settle down a little.
17: Oh, they have, Jack. Why, in fact, Bagby, the piano player, has sworn off drinking. He's been on the wagon since last Saturday morning.
2: Bagby on the wagon? What happened?
17: Well, he was supposed to go over to Dennis Day's house because Dennis wanted to rehearse a song. Oh, and he wanted Charlie to accompany him on the piano. Mm-hmm. When he got over to Dennis's, he rang the bell and an elephant answered the door.
2: <laughs> oh, yes, I know about that. An elephant's been living there for the past seven days. I know.
17: Wait a minute now, Jack, you're kidding. Now, how in the world could an elephant live in the house for a week? <laughs>
2: Ask me that again, Bob. Well, ask you what? How can an elephant live in a house for a week? He brought his trunk. I ran into Dennis, too. How do I always get trapped into these things? Why does it always have to happen to me? Once, just once, I'd love... Coming, coming. Oh, my goodness. How did this ever escape from Dennis's... Oh, it's you, Don. Don. Come on, come on in.
12: Jack, what in the world are you talking about? Oh, nothing, nothing.
2: Let's go in the living room. Bob
12: Crosby is there. Oh, good. He'll want to watch it too. Watch what? The Sportsman Quartet are doing a guest shot on television. Oh, hi, Bob.
2: Hello, Don. What time does this program go on?
12: Oh, just a few minutes now. Where's your television set, Jack?
2: Right here. It's the new Crosley. I'm trying it out on approval.
12: You've had me that way for the last 20 years.
2: Well, when you prove that you're good, I'll hire you. You know, sometimes.
6: Huh?
2: A chew.
17: Is that I, Jack? Hey, Don, when did you join the Elks? Those are mine. <laughs> Darn <Down>
13: that, Dennis. <laughs>
10: Here's your lunch, Mr.
2: Benny. Thanks. Yeah, it looks delicious. Oh, Roger, you forgot something. Get me a napkin. I'm sorry, but
10: I just washed them and they're not dry yet.
2: Oh. Well, get me a paper napkin.
10: They're not dry yet either.
17: (laughs) (laughs) Oh. Oh, oh, oh. Say, Jack, we'll be off the air in a couple of weeks, and
2: uh, I wonder, where are you going on uh, for your vacation? Oh, I guess after I finish all my personal appearances, I'll probably go to Las Vegas for a couple of weeks. Oh, and...
12: uh, now, Jack, you wouldn't go back there after what happened last time. Look, Don, I don't Why, want to hear what about happened
2: that? last time?
12: Nothing, nothing happened.
2: Nothing? Oh. <laughs> Come on, Jack, tell me what it's all about. Look, I'm not... Sol- t- look, you can forget it. I'm going to eat my lunch.
12: Look, Bob, while he's eating his lunch, I'll tell you all about it. Oh. It was about four or five years ago, and Jack and I drove up to Las Vegas together. It was late in the afternoon when we drove up to the Flamingo Hotel. I'd already reserved my room by phone, but you know Jack, he always leaves everything for the last minute.
2: He's a beautiful lobby, isn't it, Don? Sure is. A lot of people here, too. Yeah. You wait here, Don. I'm going over and talk to the room clerk. Now, this hotel really is. May a... I help you, sir? Yes, yeah, I'd like to get a room here. Well, it's quite an honor having you visit the hotel, Mr. Benny. Oh, you you know who I am? Yes, yes. I saw you once in the movies. You did? Yes, you were sitting right next to me. <laughs> Well, thank you. Now I'd like to get a room. Yes, sir. Now let me see. Uh, here's one, two fifty. Two fifty? Isn't that kind of expensive? Well, that's not the price. That's the room number. <laughs> oh, oh, I see. Down the second floor. Uh, yes, sir. Has a beautifully decorated bedroom, magnificently furnished sitting room, luxurious dressing room, and a huge entry hall. Well, that sounds nice. What's the rate on it? Sixteen dollars. Well, that I won't discuss at all. (laughs) Now, look, clerk, I've had a... had a... Jack, what are you staring at? That cash register. I've never seen anything so beautiful. Well, that's a slot machine. A slot machine? Oh, I've heard about them, but this is the first one I've ever seen. How do they work? Well, you put in a nickel and pull the handle, and if two cherries come up, you get five nickels back. Well, that's fair. And if three. Uh, and if three oranges come up, you get 11 nickels. Say, that's fine. Now, if three bells come up, you get 18 nickels. No kidding. And if three bars come up, you get the jackpot. Well, that's sensational. But supposing I put my nickel in and none of those things you mentioned come up. Well, in that case, you lose your nickel. Well, that's ridiculous. LAUGHTER Thing like that'll never catch on. <laughs> Believe me. Come on, Jack, let's go. Just a minute, Don. Now, look, clerk, I'm willing to stay here if you'll lower the rates. Let, let me speak to the manager. Very well, he's right here. And uh, Mr. Benny, this is Mr. Schiller, the manager of the Flamingo. Oh, I'm, uh, I'm pleased to meet you, Mr. Schiller. How do you do? Uh, look, Mr. Schiller, I want to get a room and get some rest here. I just drove all the way from Beverly Hills to Las Vegas. Well, Mr. Benny, if you'll give me the keys to your car, I'll have the bellboy park it. It's that Maxwell right out in front Oh, is that your car? Yes Well, then we owe you an apology We're using it to mow them on (laughs) Well, leave the grass in it It'll make the seat softer Now, look, Mr. Schiller I'm very anxious to stay at the Flamingo But it seems that your clerk and I can't get together He's so stubborn Don't you have any less expensive rooms? Yes, we have some for $5 and some for $7 $5 and $7 Gee, I don't... I'm sorry, Mr. Benny But there's nothing I can do for you you see, I have no authority to change the rates. Well, there must be somebody I can talk to, isn't huh? Well, here's the general manager. Oh, Mr. Chappelle. Uh, yes? Do you mind talking to this gentleman? Why, not at all. How do you do? Uh, how do you do? I'm Jack Benny, star of stage, screen, and radio. <laughs> oh, Jack Benny, certainly. I uh, saw your last picture. Really? Did you like it? No.
18: <laughs>
2: oh. well, have you ever heard me on radio? Yes. Well, do you like me? No. (laughs)
18: Well,
2: have you ever seen me on television? No. Good, good. (laughs) Now, look, Mr. Chappelle, the reason... I wanted to see you because Mr. Schiller is trying to tell me that the lowest rate you have here is $5 a day. Well, Mr. Benny, $5 a day for a room is very reasonable. $5 a day, but I intend to stay for about seven days. Well, I'm sure you'd enjoy staying at the Flamingo. it costs cost $6 million to build it. Well, what are they trying to do, get it all back from me? Come on, Jack. I'm leaving. Everybody in the place is looking at Don, me. Don, this won't take long. Look, Mr. Benny, I'm a very busy man. I've got a lot of things to do. I'll give you a room for $4. You're faded. I mean, I'll take it. <laughs> well, here's your key, Mr. Benny. Thank you. Come on, Jack. Let's go. Just a minute, Don. I have a nickel here. I'm going to put it in the slot machine. Yeah, I hope I win.
12: Super
2: jackpot Yeah, gee, Don, look at all those nickels Just a minute, I'll put them in my pocket Now, come on, come on, Don, let's go Jack, you forgot to tip the bellboy who brought your bags in You take care of it, Don, I haven't got any change (laughs) Come
11: on, let's go
0: The Jack Benny Show, and uh, if I can be believed, that one was The Best of Benny, which was broadcast on December fifteenth, 1957, a rebroadcast of a show that was originally heard on May the 23rd in 1954. As we've talked about so many times, Benny shows usually had two parts, and oftentimes they, they didn't really even seem related. So this Particular episode may have been, by some people, described as Jack Goes to the Dentist. Others may have described it as Jack in Las Vegas, or Jack at a Casino. I refer to it as Jack Goes to the Dentist and Visits a Casino in Las Vegas. But um, that was just fairly common, and sometimes we have a hard time identifying particular what particular show we're listening to. After all, I didn't tape all these myself. These are handed down from people to people. My job is to go out and find the best sound quality I I can find. Another thing, did you notice how the sound changed at the end of that show? Sometimes uh, when you get a recording, it'll just end, just very abruptly, right in the middle of the closing music. That's not uncommon at all. And when I have that happen, I, I just can't stand it. So, what I will normally do is go and find another recording of the same show. And maybe it, it doesn't have as high of sound quality as the one I want to play. But in order to keep the continuity on the closing theme music, I will grab part of it and put it on there. So, you'll hear a distinct difference in sound quality, but at least it's the same, uh, the same show and you're hearing all of it. Now, I didn't do that with this one tonight, but it looks to me, or sounds to me, like somebody else did that in the past. All right, so now you know all about the secrets of editing The Jack Benny Show. We are going to uh, take a little detour now, and maybe this theme music can give you a hint as to what's coming up. (laughs) Well, you kids have been so good lately that we thought we would give you a little bonus in the form of a fourth show this week. Chester picked it out, and it's an episode of Inner Sanctum. Chester, I'm sorry, Chester's motioning to me. What is it? Scare the bejabbers. <laughs> Chester said, this one will scare the bejabbers out of you. I remember Inter Sanctum from when I was a kid. Uh, I don't actually remember listening to it on the radio, but there was a lot of parodies. And I remember Mad Magazine, when they used to do the pocketbooks. Uh, and all of the the uh, stories in the in the books were written by Bill Elder or Will Elder. I remember one they had on Inter Sanctum. And it was quite funny. The host, of course, is what kind of made the show. And, well, it just became very iconic. I also remember Inner Sanctum comic books when I was a kid. It's funny, these were comic books. You You couldn't pick them up like at the regular grocery store where you got Uncle Scrooge and Superman. But certain grocery stores had them in bags. And there was two or three comics to a bag. And it was sort of like a grab bag. You didn't even know what was under some of them. you just see the top one. And usually it was like three comic books for the price of, of one or two of, of your normal, like Dell comic books or Superman DC comic books. So it definitely has a relationship to baby boomers. So here we go. We're going to go back to February the 5th, 1946 for an episode entitled Skeleton Bay.
14: Good evening, students of the mystic marvels of manifold murder. (laughs) This is your host extending a cordial invitation to step through the creaking door of the Inner Sanctum, where we probe deep into the dark and cavernous depths of men's souls to see what makes them kill. Mm -hmm. Our clinic here is the whole vast world of crime. And you who listen in may hear us dissect our characters at a safe distance. And unless your nerves are strong, you'd better take my advice and... uh, Keep your distance.
19: (laughs) Why, Mr. Host, that's not the kind of advice to give, folks. It sounds unfriendly. Well, what
14: would you suggest, Mary?
19: Well, give them some sort of friendly advice. Like pointing out to them the extra delight they'll get from a cheering cup of Lipton tea. Now, that's the kind of advice you should give, folks.
14: Well, Mary, you seem to have given it to them already. Oh, we can go ahead and get launched on Skeleton Bay. That's the title of tonight's story. An original radio play by Emil Tepperman. It's about a lady novelist, a writer of mystery stories. It opens at a swanky hotel with private cabins situated on a storm-swept rock-bound coast. The story itself is all about... Mm-hmm. You guessed it. Murder. Here's Betty Lou Gerson as Carol Winter, the lady novelist, who will give us a blow-by-blow description.
19: I'll tell you first about the night I met Michael Barrett. It was in August at Skeleton Bay. I'd come to the hotel supposedly for rest. That was what I kept telling myself. But in reality, I didn't know why I'd come here. Skeleton Bay. I'd seen the name Skelet advertised Bay. months ago. Since then it just hammering, 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 hammering at the inside Bay. of my brain. Skelet like the Skelet voice Bay. of implacable feet Skelet commanding, commanding, Skelet commanding. Because I didn't like crowds, the hotel manager had given me a cabin near the beach all to myself. It was the middle of the night and I couldn't sleep. The wind came in from the ocean, howling like a hungry beast across the shoals. and the pounding of the surf mingled with the angry, baffled growl of the sea. I sat at the window in the dark, staring out at the beach. I was restless, excited. It was then I saw the signal. It was just a winking little light a few yards away on the beach. Someone was blinking a flashlight on and off, on and off. I was able to make out the figure of a man in boots and a leather jacket. He was signaling toward the hotel. But to whom? I had the answer in a moment. A man moved past my window, going down toward the light. He had his collar turned up against the wind. His hat brim pulled low. But I knew who it was. Mr. Field. The small, furtive man who'd come up on the train with me. The two men met. Barely a stone's throw from my window could hardly see them huddled closely together. This was excitement, mystery, intrigue, the stimulation I wanted and needed. I had to know what was going on. I threw on a raincoat, opened the cabin door. The wind swept my hair in a streamer, and the spray stung my face as I hurried down the beach. My blood began to race, my heart to pound. For those two men were not engaged in any conference. They were locked in struggle. It was a deadly, silent struggle with only a grunt now and then. I saw the flashing gleam of a knife. But I couldn't tell who had the weapon. The tall man in the leather jacket or the furtive Mr. Field. And then... Then I saw the blade plunge home into the throat of the furtive Mr. Field. I felt a sudden surge of wild elation. This was murder. I had witnessed murder. The tall man let the body of Mr. Field slide down to the sand. Then he looked up and saw me. He stood there with a bloody knife in his hand and we looked at each other. Who are you? I'm Carol Winter. I have this cabin here, number five.
20: You saw me kill him?
19: Yes, I saw you. What are you going to do about it? I'm going to help you dispose of the body. He told me his name was Michael Barrett. He lived on the opposite side of the bay in the house high up on the cliff.
20: It won't be so easy to get rid of the body. If I had the boat, I could take him out and drop him over, but it's too rough tonight. If there was some place to hide him for a day, I could come across
19: in the boat tomorrow night. You can hide him in the closet in my cabin. Nobody will look there. Better lock the closet door. Yes, of course.
20: You sure nobody will come snooping here?
19: Nobody comes here but the maid. All right.
20: All right. I'll be back tomorrow night with a boat. Did
19: you pick up the knife?
20: Yeah. Got it in my pocket.
19: Well, I guess that's all.
20: Good night, Carolla
19: Good night, Michael. All night I sat up alone with the locked closet door between me and the staring, sightless body of Mr. Field breakfast the next morning. They'd already discovered the disappearance. And the maid says his bed wasn't slept in at all. Oh, think he could have committed suicide in the ocean. He was oh, I I hurried through my man. breakfast listening no, to the, the gossip lady, all around no. me. Yes, I know that. Now in broad daylight, I yes. hardly believe the thing had really happened last I night. You know the hotel manager thinks it might be a murder. What? I heard him phoning for the police. The police. I hadn't counted on that. Anything wrong, my dear? You look sick. I do feel a bit dizzy. I think I'll get some fresh air. Oh,
21: poor dear. It must be quite a shock to her. She came up on the train with Mr. Field, you know.
19: Out in the open air, I let the wind cool my fevered face as I hurried down toward the beach. It was only 9.30 in the morning. A whole day. A whole evening before Michael could come for the body. And the police would be around all day investigating, snooping. And all the time, Mr. Field would be sitting in my closet, staring blankly out of his sightless eyes when I reached my cabin I put a hand on the doorknob suddenly I I went cold all over the door was unlocked I stood still as a statue listening Yes. yes there was someone inside someone moving around I only had my handbag I had a pistol in it I always carried it for protection my handbag was inside on the dresser. Slowly, slowly I pressed the door open. Half inch, an inch. And then the door creaked. Is that you, Miss Winter? The maid. It was only the maid, of course. She'd be making up the bed. Why hadn't I thought of that? Miss Winter, is that you? Yes, it's I. What are you doing in that closet for those keys? Why, they're just my pass keys, Miss Winter. I was just going to tidy up the closet. I didn't ask you to do anything to the closet. Well, but that's part of the job, Miss Winter. I'm supposed to do that in all the rooms. Well, you leave this one alone. Keep away from that closet, do you hear? Yes, Miss Winter. But I was only trying to help. I want your help. I'll ask for it. Now, please leave it once. Just as you say, Miss Winter.
15: I'm sorry if I did anything wrong.
19: Did she suspect anything? I hadn't liked her tone. Why? Why had I been so sharp with her? Now she'd surely think there was something in the closet. Something she shouldn't see. At lunchtime, I didn't want to leave the cabin. I sat at the window. And I could almost feel the sightless eyes of Mr. Field staring at me through the closet door. Coming at the door. Who? Who? Just a minute.
21: Uh, Miss Winter, Miss Carola Winter.
19: Yes, I'm Miss Winter.
21: I'm sorry to trouble you, Miss Winter. I'm Detective Sergeant Smith from headquarters. Uh, may I come in for a moment?
19: Well, yes, please do. What can I do for you, Sergeant Smith?
21: Uh, we're out here investigating this field business. He uh, hasn't turned up yet.
19: Well, I'm sure he will in time.
21: Well, I wish I could be so sure, Miss Winter. What do you mean? We've gone through his room. Found some mighty queer things.
19: Queer things?
21: It seems this Mr. Fields in some sort of racket. There's a good chance he may have been murdered.
19: Well, you don't say.
21: I uh, understand you came up on the train with him.
19: Yes, yes, that's true.
21: Yeah. Did you uh, have any conversation with him on the train?
19: Mm, no, none at all.
21: Uh-huh. Uh, you are the Carol of Winter who writes the mystery novels, aren't
19: you? <laughs> the same.
21: Yes, <laughs> so I've read every one of them. They're darn good, Miss Winter.
19: Why, thank you.
21: Uh, do you think you'll get a plot out of this, uh, I mean, Mr. Field?
19: Why, uh, I can't tell yet. I wish you'd keep me posted on developments in case it does turn out to have a plot. Well,
21: I sure will, Miss Winter. Uh, by the way, we found this picture among the papers in Field's room. <laughs> I'm showing it to everybody around in case they might recognize it. It's an old newspaper item, about 10 years old. Can't figure out why he was carrying it around. It's about a guy named Wycliffe. It's wanted for murder in Canada. Here, take a look at
19: it. I felt the blood racing in my veins, pounding at my wrists. The picture of the man named Wycliffe, who was wanted for murder in Canada, it was a picture of Michael Barrett.
14: Well, it looks as if Michael Barrett is a lucky guy With a beautiful woman ready to commit murder for him Mm -hmm. But what'll he do when she runs out of victims And begins looking at him with a calculating eye As for Carola, she sinned heavily because murder is the greatest sin. And now, let's get back to the rock-bound coast of Skeleton Bay and see how Carola entertains the grisly guest in her closet.
19: I don't remember now how I got rid of that Detective Smith. I, I told him I'd never seen the man in the picture and sent him away. The day was interminable from my window I could see the guests moving about the beach but none of them went in swimming the weather was too rough I wondered if Michael would be able to bring the boat over tonight if not how much longer could I sit guard over Mr. Field in the closet now and then I'd see Detective Smith poking around on the beach and then without warning he was standing over the very spot where Michael had stabbed Mr. Field I watched him bend down and examine something. Was there a telltale drop of blood there? Did Smith know that was the murder spot? I saw him frown. Then he stood up, walked quickly away. I had to know what it was he'd seen there. I slipped on a coat, went out. It started toward the spot on the beach. All right, somewhere, oh. Miss Winter? Oh, it's you, Detective.
21: Uh, going anywhere in particular?
19: Oh. Uh. No, no, I'm just going up to the hotel for dinner. It's almost dinner time, you
21: know. Oh, fine. I'll walk up with you if you don't mind. Why, not at all. Hey, can I help you? I'll take your arm there. <laughs>
19: Thank you,
21: Sandy, so soft. As It's still wet. We had high tide last night. Oh, uh, um, Miss Winter. Yes? You a sound sleeper.
15: What?
19: Why do you ask?
21: Well, I just thought maybe you might have heard something last night. Like a fight or something? Fight? Yes, yes. I was just looking at the sand back there, down near your cabin. It's all messed up, stamped around.
19: Well, wh- what's that got to do with me?
21: Oh, nothing at all. Except I think there was a fight there last night. Maybe that's where Mr. Field was killed.
19: You. You think Mr. Field was murdered? It's
21: beginning to look more and more like it, Miss Winter.
19: Somehow, I I don't know how, I managed to get through with the dinner. I hurried back to the cabin. I stopped at the door, shocked and unbelieving. There was a light inside. Someone was in there. This time, I had my handbag with me. I took the pistol out. Once more, I inched the door open. It happened. The thing I feared. The closet door was open. And there was the maid... stooping... over the body of Mr. Field. What are you doing there? The body. It's Mr. Field. You killed him. Suppose I did. What are you doing with that gun? What do you think? No! No! The wind was high, and the weather was rough, Unfortunately, no one heard the shot. I pushed her body into the closet next to the body of Mr. Field and closed the door. Now, now I was a murderer too. is it? Let me Carla, quick. Yes, yes. Michael, I thought you were coming. It's been a terrible day. What happened? Come here, I'll show you.
20: Is he still in there?
19: (laughs) See for yourself.
20: Great Scott, a
19: woman. Who is she? The maid. She opened the closet while I was out. You killed her? Yes, Michael. I I had to kill her. There are detectives at the hotel looking for Mr. Field. Hmm.
20: I suppose if I was smart, I'd kill you, too. and there'd be no one to talk.
19: Yes, Michael, that would be smart. Go ahead. Kill me, if you can. I knew he couldn't kill me because I'd seen it in his eyes. We were two of a kind, both wild, both reckless, both eager for the thrill of danger. He, too, wanted to be like the wind. We'd both been brought together here by some force stronger than either of us. And we loved each other. Carol, darling. Michael. No more now, Michael. We have work to do.
20: Yes. I'll take them down to the
19: boat. I'll help you. We carried Mr. Field and the maid down to the boat. Uh,
20: I'll take them out away and dump them.
19: And after that, Michael? After that? Then I'm going home. To your house on the cliff on the other side of the bay? Yes, Carola. Michael, take me with you. What? Take me with you to your house up there on the cliff. I'm
20: sorry. I can't.
19: You, you can't? Why can't you?
20: is isn't anything I can tell you. What are you hiding up there in the house on the cliff? You mustn't ask. Please, Carola, you mustn't ask.
19: Why, you're married. You have a wife up there. No.
20: Then what? I can't tell you.
19: But you're... You're going away. Leaving me forever.
20: Not forever, Carola. Go back to the city. I'll come to you soon.
19: I returned to the city and waited. I waited a week. A month. But Michael Barrett did not come. I wrote to him. But there was no answer. And then one evening, I saw him. I was returning home in a taxi and I saw him. Standing across the street, looking up at my window. And he saw me get out of the cab. He turned and started hurrying hurry away. Michael! Michael! Michael, don't go away! Michael! Michael, why did you try to run away? Don't you know? Why you're afraid?
20: Yeah, let's call it that.
19: But you love me, Michael, don't you?
20: Carola, it's no good. There's nothing but ruin for both of us if I stay.
19: We'll be together forever. It's impossible. I won't let you go back to that house on the cliff. I don't care what it is you're hiding up there, I won't let you go back.
20: Goodbye, Caroline. Wait. I'm going. Better forget about
19: it. Don't go yet, Mr. Whitecliff.
20: So you know about that, too?
19: I saw the old newspaper clipping Mr. Field carried. I see. Why are you looking at me like that?
20: You know why I killed Mr. Field? Because it tried to blackmail me about that old murder.
19: But, Michael, dear, I'm a good deal smarter than Mr. Field. You see, I write mystery novels. I know how to handle such things. What do you mean? Wouldn't do you any good to kill me. I've written out all about you. Your real name and about that old murder in Canada. Would be found if I should ever be killed. Oh. Michael, darling, I'm blackmailing you. But there's only one thing I want from you: your love. It shouldn't be so hard for you to meet my terms.
20: All right, Carla. You win. We'll be married tonight. <laughs>
19: Soon after we were married, Michael began going out evenings, once, sometimes twice a week, staying out all night. He'd return late the next day, and I asked where he'd been, his temper would flare up into something terrible. I stopped asking, but I couldn't rest. I had to know where he went. One evening, I followed him. He boarded a train for skeleton Bay. At Skeleton Bay, he set out to walk from the station, and I followed It was no longer summer. Trees were bare, and the night was forbidding. I kept behind him when he skirted the bay to the narrow road that led up toward his house high on the cliff. It was a small stone house, and the wind whistled around it, against it, and above it. I stole to one of the windows. It was barred, like a prison Carefully, I raised my head above the sill, peered into a lighted room. Michael was there, with a woman. For the first time in my life, I knew the meaning of frustration, jealousy. Michael told me he wasn't married, but this woman, I'd helped him to do murder. I'd killed for him. I'd lied to that detective for him. And all the while, this was the secret he'd been keeping from me. I opened my handbag. I took out the pistol. I looked into the room again. The woman was alone now. Michael was gone.
13: So you came
20: up after all, Carola?
19: Michael, you, you sneaked out.
20: You knew I was here. I'm sorry you saw through that window, Carola.
19: Is that your secret? That woman? It's
20: part of it, but it's the part you mustn't know. But I
19: do know it now.
20: That's why I've got to kill you, Carola.
19: That knife? You've still got that knife? Yes, Carola. But I've got this, Michael. He fell at my feet and I looked down and watched him die now I knew why I'd really come to Skeleton Bay that first day it was for this to kill Michael Barrett so he's dead at last you've killed him you the woman in the house you you saw me kill him yes I saw you What are you going to do about it? Help you dispose of the body, of course. Help me dispose of the body? Those were the very words I'd said to Michael Barrett down there on the beach. Now, this woman was saying them to me. Who who are you? I'm Lisbeth Wycliffe. I'm Michael's sister. Sister? And you want to help me dispose of his body? See the bars on those windows? Yes. I've been a prisoner in this house for ten years. what? Michael killed the man I was going to marry ten years ago in Canada. He murdered him. But, But this house, this prison... Michael brought me here. He's kept me a prisoner. Because he knew if I got free, I'd tell the world he was a murderer. And that's the secret. The secret he wouldn't even tell me. I shot her. Yes, I killed her, too. There outside the house, and she fell beside Michael. And I rolled both bodies over the cliff, down into the sea. This is the end of my book. The best mystery novel I've ever written. I know that in writing it, I deliver myself into the hands of the law. But I can't stop. I can't help myself. So now... I'm finished. I will mail it to my publisher and wait... for Detective Sergeant Smith... to come and get me.
14: looks as if Carola's mystery novel will earn a lot of money after she's executed. Yes, but I'd say it's tainted money. Hmm? Why tainted? Because she'll be dead and a ghost can't own money. So taint hers. (laughs) The trouble with Carola was that her conscience was too little and too late. It told her not to commit murder after she'd done it. And so, friends, we take our leave of lovely Carola Winter. She would have been better off if she'd remembered that the pen is mightier than the sword. Because the sword is leading her right back to the pen anyhow. (laughs) Oh, yes, and remember, friends, when you go on a vacation, always insist on plenty of closet space. Yes, you never know what unexpected guests might drop in or drop dead. (laughs) By the way, this month's Inner Sanctum Mystery Novel is Death in the Limelight by A.E. Martin. And next week, the makers of Lipton Tea and Lipton Soup will bring you another Inner Sanctum Mystery directed by Hyman Brown. It's about a young chemist who discovers the secret of perpetual life. But he made the mistake of getting involved with death. (laughs) So, until next Tuesday, good night. Pleasant Mm -hmm. (laughs) dreams.
19: Don't forget to tune in next Tuesday night for another Inner Sanctum Mystery.
12: This is CBS, the Columbia
0: Broadcasting System. Chester, you did a good job on that one. Good, good job. That was Inner Sanctum. as first broadcast on CBS back on the 2nd... No, excuse me, the 5th of February in 1946. We're going to have to do that a little more often. Yeah. You, you like that show, don't you? <laughs> chester likes to be scared back there in his bermuda shorts and and his uh, hawaiian shirt and his harachi sandals oh i know i know chester you know much more about fashion than i do i absolutely he went out the other other week and bought a new suit neiman marcus right he bought it at neiman marcus what'd you pay for that suit yeah well okay, okay i'm not even going to repeat that the suit looked like it was three sizes too small for him I mean, it it barely barely buttoned in the middle, and the sleeves were short, and that that's the way they're worn these days. He said, "I don't know who makes up those rules, folks, but Chester went out and paid a king's ransom for a new suit, and it looks to me like it doesn't fit." But that's the way they're wearing them. Oh well, go figure, you're you're much more of an expert on that than I am, Chester. All right, time for gun smoke, everybody. Now oh take you back. Takes you back to Dodd City, Kansas. The year is 1874. Oh, yeah. We're walking up Front Street, the main street in town. There's the Long Branch on the right, the Alifraganza on the left. Walking along with Marshal Matt Dillon. Along the way, we're going to meet up with Doc and Chester and Kitty and the whole gang on Gunsmoke. Boy, we have a good one tonight. This one comes from 1958. I don't play as many episodes from the later 50s because most of them don't have sound quality that I want to keep or maintain for my shows, but this one's pretty good. It's funny, when you listen to the shows later on, everything sort of changed. The musical interludes changed. The feel of the show changed a little. But it's still a good one. Most of the cast members stay the same. This one was entitled A House Ain't a Home. And it was originally broadcast on CBS on August the 10th in 1958. And here it comes.
1: Mr. Dillon, these days when it just don't pay to get out of bed. Why don't
13: you sit down, Chester? Like today, for
1: instance. I've been thinking back over it.
13: Ah, oh, so that's what you've been doing. Right?
1: I didn't hardly more than get my eyes open before I knocked over the water bucket and like to drown myself Chester, would you sit on? Then I went to put my boots on and that vinegarone stung me and my foot's been sore and aching all day. <sighs>
13: all right, Chester, I believe you. It's been a
1: bad day. And then you take breakfast. The very first thing, Pete, was all out of egg. And then that was the worst and coffee I ever drunk in my whole Chester, life. Chester, are we and going through your
13: last 18 hours minute by minute?
1: I'm just yep. pointing out, to you What an unlucky day this is! You've this. already
13: convinced me. Now, will you Bye. sit on... Oh, Kitty. Is he? No, come on in. Good evening, Miss Kitty.
15: Hello, Chester. Uh, I can't stay, Matt. i got to get back to the Long Branch. Oh? Uh-huh. Uh, could you come over?
13: What's well, the trouble?
15: It's old
1: Jedro Haig.
13: Jedro yeah. In the Long Branch? Oh, he doesn't stop in there more than twice a year. I
1: know. He don't even come into town much more than that. Well, he's over there now,
15: and he's been drinking a lot. All alone. Won't talk to anybody, but... He's real upset about something,
13: Matt.
15: Oh? Yeah, I thought maybe you could straighten him out.
13: Oh, Kitty, I'm not so sure.
15: Well, I am, Matt. He's got a gun stuck in his belt. Oh.
13: All right, Kitty, I'll be right over.
15: Thanks, Matt.
1: I'll see you there. Yeah. There you are. It's just like I said, Mr. Dillon. This day started bad, and it's gonna end bad.
13: Well, just for once, Chester, you might be right. Evening, General
10: Marshal Well,
13: I haven't seen you for quite a spell How have you been?
10: Well, I reckon somebody told you Might if I sit down (laughs) Uh, Tell me what? Nothing Nothing I ain't got no complaint to make to the law.
13: You know, when a man acts against his nature, like you coming in off the ranch and sitting around here drinking all night or a gun in your belt, I, I know something's wrong. Now, who's the gun for, General?
10: Well, the young'un's back, Marshal. Ramey? Yeah. Come home last night like a bad penny. It's oh, three years now. Where's he been all that time? Well, wherever it was, it ain't done him no good. He was just ornery before and sassy. Now he's mean and no good. Friends he brung with him is worse. What friends? Oh, a couple of fellows named Cardin and King. They're gunmen, Marshal. They got the wild bunch look to them.
13: I never heard of them before.
10: Well, not only that, but there's others coming too, Ramey says and they're all going to run things from now on. So the best thing I can do is keep out of the way.
18: <laughs>
10: My own young, Flesh and blood. And he talked to me like that. How'd you get all those bruises on your face, Chet? Well, uh, it don't matter how. Did Ramey and his friends throw you out? Yeah, that's, that's what they did. Out of the house. Said if I wanted back in and get something to eat, I'd have to chop wood for the stove and do the chores. Remy done it, and they helped him. And he laughed at me. Said that's what I used to make him do. Cut wood, and things. Things are turned around now. He's still your son, General. You can't take a gun to him. Well, I've been sitting here studying what to do. Why don't you sleep on it, huh? I'll ride out there with you in the morning. I got to get them two friends of his out of there, Marshal. On account of Diane, if nothing else. Your daughter? Well, what do you mean? Well, she ain't safe with them around. I seen how they looked at her. She just ain't safe. But her brother's there. He'll look out for her. Yeah, uh, he's changed, Marshall. Not that much. I ain't so sure.
1: Mr. Dillon. Too bad old Jedro's getting thrown out after working so hard on huh? Yeah. I can't figure what young Ramy wants with it anyhow. He ain't the kind of work for a living.
13: Maybe he's not planning to, Chester. To make a good base for a gang of outlaws. Outlaws? Yeah, he brought two gunmen back with him. There's more coming, according to Jedro. Get the General. Right. Hit the ground!
1: come from that brush up on the ridge look like. Yeah. I think sure ain't much cover here.
13: I think he's in that rock pile there.
1: I think maybe you got him, Mr. Nell. Come on, Chester. Sure didn't count on nothing like this, had it? Neither did I. I reckon he's dead. Now, wait a minute. There's somebody coming. Yeah.
13: Here, get around the back of these boulders. again. Yeah. We'll just let them go on past. There's no use taking chances. Yes, sir. All right, hold it. <laughs> I just said easy now, both of you.
16: Oh, Marshal, well, what was all the shooting
13: about? I was just about to ask you, Remy.
16: Well, we just heard and come to find out.
13: Ain't that so, i sure It sure is, Cardin. huh? That must have been your other partner I just killed.
16: King? Now, how come you done that, Marshal?
13: Because I don't like being dry-gulched. Well,
16: did he do something like that?
13: Big surprise to you, huh?
16: We ain't seen King since late last night.
13: That's right, Marshal. That's funny. I kind of got the idea he might have been keeping a lookout on the trail here.
16: He was. We sure didn't know nothing about it.
13: Uh Uh-huh. It must have been drink. Drove him to it.
16: Time and again, me and Cardin warned him about his evil ways.
13: Where's your sister, Remy? Diane? What do you want with her? I want to talk to her. About what? She's up at the house. Yeah, but if you think you're going to start any trouble... Well, ride on up to the house. You got any objections? No, of course not. All right, let's go.
16: But, Marshall, I don't want to go into Dodge. Where'd you get such an idea?
13: From your father. He thought you might want to get away from here for a
16: while. Pa's getting old and soft in the head. Diane likes it here, and she's going
13: to stay home where she belongs, ain't you, Diane? Yes, Ramey. You don't have to stay, Diane. understand that. If Remy or Cardin here have threatened you, you can forget it. I'll see that you're protected. Threatened her?
16: Why, I'm her brother, Marshal. I wouldn't hurt her. Ain't that right, Diane? Yes. That's right, Remy
13: And old Jedrow's your father, Remy But that did not keep you from beating him up And throwing him out of the house Now there, you
16: see Pa is losing his wits Nothing like that happened at all, did it, Cardin? Of course not Diane? No No, nothing like that Pa just left, that's all Well, I'll go about my chores, Marshal If it's all right with you
13: Yeah, sure, go
16: ahead Well, that take care of your business here, Marshal?
13: Right now, maybe.
16: And Pa didn't make no charges, did he? No. And I say you got no reason to be on our land.
13: I'll see you, Remy. Real soon, more than likely.
11: Why don't you just boot him out?
13: I don't figure they boot too easy, Doug. Yeah.
11: That's never stopped you before.
13: Ah, no, this is different. It's a family affair, and there's a good chance they'd slip in here some night and take it out on old Jedro. Mm, yeah. His own pa. What the tarnation's matter, to that boy, Matt. It yeah, beats me. Yeah. Well, what are you gonna
11: do? Just sit here pounding that swivel chair and let him get away with it?
13: Not much I can do, Doug. No law against him coming back home. <laughs> General won't sign a complaint. Says it's a family affair and he'll handle it himself.
11: Yeah, i will have to sober up some before he does any handling. All he does is hang around the Long Branch.
13: I'd up out some inquiries, but telegraphed. Figured there might be a chance that one of those three's wanted somewhere, and then I'd have a reason to move in on him.
11: Yeah, seems a darn shame when the law works to help somebody like them. Yeah. See, you know, it might be a good idea to bypass the law on a thing like this, man.
1: No.
13: Now, you do that once, Doc, and the dam goes up. It took too long to get what law we have here to turn around and lose
11: it. Hey, wait a minute. What's what the Dickens is going on up the street? I don't know. Get up here.
13: Sounds like a fight.
11: <laughs> Quite a crowd there, Matt. Yeah.
13: Oh, hey, it's right in the front of the branch. Yeah, That is a fight. Come on, Doc. <laughs> Get oh, yeah, let me through here One side All right, move back now All right, hold it, Carden Don't kick him again I'll kick his head
10: Carden! I told you not to kick him He's lucky that's all I've done He tried to draw on me, Marshal
13: I could have shot him if I'd been a mind to But you like it better this way, is that it? An old man half blind and half drunk. He hadn't ought to jump me, Marshal. And you hadn't ought to kick him. You're under arrest. You got no call to arrest me? Carton, I warned most men twice, but after what you just did, I guess once is plenty.
10: You want to fight, Marshal? You got one. Good. (laughs) You had enough? I'm going to... I'm going to kick your guts out. And have
13: trouble. Carden? Carden, can you hear me? Well, you're under arrest anyway. When he comes to, a couple of you men bring him down to the jail, huh? Oh, you, you all right, Matt? Yeah, I'm all right, Doc. What about Judd it's yeah, Not too bad. May have a cracked rib
11: where Carden kicked him once. He came to in time to see the finish there. I'm going to take him up to my office.
13: Well, I'll walk with you. I want to talk to him.
11: Hey. Uh, can you make it to my place? Yeah, I'm all right.
10: Come on then. You, you ought to have kicked him, Marshal, same as he done me. An eye for
13: an eye, Jed Rose, at it? Uh,
10: he don't deserve no better. You made a mistake trying to draw on him. Well, but I didn't. I just threatened to. If he didn't get out of here and leave me and mine alone. Well, are you ready to sign a complaint now? Oh, you don't go along with kinfolk, Marshal. I'll work it out myself.
13: You may not be so lucky
10: the next time. Uh, it ain't no use, Marshal
13: can't force you to. Mr. Jones? Yeah, what is it, Chester?
1: Hey, we got an answer to one of them telegraphs. Oh, let me see. You just now come in on the wire. Huh. Oh, well. What
13: is it, man? Huh. Uh Ramey Cardin and King are wanted in Las Cruces for the murder of a bank guard. They hadn't sent a bullet in here because they thought they were in California.
10: Murder. Oh, my boy wouldn't kill anybody, Marshal.
13: I'm sorry, General. But I gotta bring him in now. Here she
1: comes, Mr. Dillon. Well, I didn't think we'd have to wait very long.
13: I couldn't see Ramey doing the milking.
1: He's coming right in tomorrow, all right. He's got milk
13: pails with <sighs> it. Or you stay back from the door till she gets inside and don't let her yell out and warn him, huh? Yes, sir. Diane. What? Oh, it's all right. Just take it easy now.
12: Marshall,
16: it's Ramey. You've come here after Ramey. Chester,
13: Chester. Hand over oh. Now, we're not going to hurt you, Diane. Oh. But I couldn't let you warn him. It'll be easier on him if you don't. If I can take him without a fight now, you understand me? No, 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 no. Now, Chester's going to take his hand away. If you try to yell, we'll have to stop you. All right, Chester. There, now, I'm awful sorry we scared you.
1: What are you after him for, Marshal? It's his
16: home. He's got a right to be here.
13: I'm afraid it's a bit more serious than that now.
16: Yes, but he's still my
15: brother. That's why I stayed, if I could help him.
13: Didn't he threaten you?
15: Well, yes, but Remy always did talk mean like that. It's more
13: than just talk, Diane.
15: It's not his fault, Marshal. It's them two men
16: with him. Wait a minute.
10: Remy, come on out of that house. Joe Chandra,
13: Yeah. Just so you stay here with Diane. I'm going out the side door of the barn and see if I can slip
1: up there by the porch. All right, Mr.
10: Dunn. Now they want me to stand easy here with Diane. You hear me, Remy? What are you doing back here, you old fool? You got no call to talk that way
16: to your fall. Going back to town and stay there. There ain't no room for you here. I got plans for
10: this place. No, you ain't, Ramey. You're all alone now. King's dead. Carton's in jail. And the marshal's on his way out here to take you in for murder. Who told him about that? You? No, I I didn't know nothing about
16: it. If I thought it was you, I'd put a bullet through your head right now. Hold it, Ramey. You brought the marshal here, you sneaking old liar.
10: No, no, please, Remy, don't shoot. Drop the gun, Remy!
18: No! Uh.
10: Dead,
13: Marshall? I'm sorry, General.
10: My own boy. I just never could believe it. My own boy. Oh,
1: you killed him, Marshal. You killed my brother.
10: I'm sorry, Diane. I had no
13: choice. He'd have killed your father.
1: Oh, really?
13: He was a killer already, and he'd have killed again and again.
15: But he was still my brother, Marshal.
13: Yeah, I know. Oh,
10: Pop. Why can't everything be like it was when we was little? I I, I don't know, Diane Henny. I just don't know.
0: Originally broadcast on CBS back on the 10th of August. The year was 1958. That was Gunsmoke. Name of that episode was A House Ain't a Home. And of course, as always, we have more Gunsmoke coming up next time. All right, time is a fleeting, so it is uh, time for us to gather up all our shows and carry them back into the vault. So that's going to kick things in the head for another week. Don't worry, though. We'll be back in two weeks, and we'll do it all over again. And perhaps at that time, Chester will treat us to another ensemble. What's that, Chester? Like that? You're going like that? Well, I, I don't know. It just it seems a little casual. Chester's going to a play right after we get away from here and he's, he's going in his, in his orange and uh, yellow plaid Bermuda shorts with his blue Hawaiian shirt with the white, white flowers and his Hirachi sandals. Okay, no, that's fine, Chester, if that's the way you want to go. You're right, everybody will be looking at you. <laughs> you're going to stand out. And I hope you have a great two weeks coming up, everybody. I'm just so glad that you were able to share a couple hours with us, and I hope you enjoyed our selections. Okay, this is Bob Bro. I'm so glad you stopped by, and I'm so glad you met me.